Well, probably as it is the case with many children, when I was a child, I had a tendency to always ask why. And I was a, a, someone that was really filled with wonder about pretty much anything and everything in the world. And the human experience is full of things that we can wonder about. Human experience is full of mysteries. As I got older and I began to appreciate my faith, I began to see how many incredible mysteries there are in Christianity, especially in Catholicism and Catholic Christianity. So many mysteries, so many mysteries. And I began to study the, the scriptures and dedicated a number of years, a very intense study to the, to the Bible, with all with an attempt of wondering, what, what is this all about? There are so many mysteries all throughout the Bible. And the Gospels themselves are full of sayings that Jesus has that are often very brief, and they're very mysterious, oftentimes because they're brief. We really don't know the full setting, the context, and the background. And so there, there are problems that are presented to the interpreter, and uh, they give him endless opportunities to exercise his or her wonder and intelligence in trying to seek out the meaning and the sense of these passages. And I thank God that as I've gotten older and I've studied and read other commentators, so forth and so on, I've grown a lot in my understanding of sacred scripture. But of course, there's so many more mysteries that lay to be uncovered than I have already uncovered. And that's always the way it is with God. Today, I think we're presented in our gospel with some mysteries. Jesus' sayings, at first, appear kind of harsh to the people who come to him. There's these interactions, and especially the one about burying the dead. That, that seems kind of, kind of tough, you know? What's going on there? You know, how do we understand that? And I believe that the answer to this mystery lies in the fact that, lies in one more mystery. And that is the mystery of the human person. You see, every time we're encounter, we are in, we encounter another human person, we're encountering a deep mystery. Every person has an interiority to them that is very, very profound. And, uh, God alone, in his all-knowing uh, knowledge, in his omniscience, uh, understands the depth of every single human being. Our job is to be kind of silent and to let that person, the mystery of our neighbor, unveil itself to us, little by little, as we give way to it, as we, we, we refrain from putting people in a box, as we refrain from having preconceived ideologies about whoever this person is because of X, Y, and Z, as we let go of our prejudices and our biases, and as we approach people on their own terms and let the mystery of our neighbor really reveal and unveil itself to us. So we're in a different position than God is. God knows everybody inside and out. And Jesus knew the hearts of the people that he was coming in contact with. Deeply, deeply, deeply. He knew each four, each of these different people that he encounters, he knew them better than they knew themselves. Okay, and that's not true for us. Okay, so what might be kind of a harsh response on our part, if we were to say to someone, you know, let the dead go bury the dead, you come follow me, that might be kind of presumptuous on our part to say something like that. But for Jesus, it's not, because he knows everybody very, very deeply. Okay, and he treats everybody as an individual as an individual, and provides for us an example as well that we need to treat everybody as an individual. We can't have a one-size-fits-all approach to everyone. 
So we see in our gospel today four different encounters that Jesus has with different people. And the ancient Catholic uh, biblical commentators point out something very deep that I would have never noticed in a million years, and I, I'm just amazed at this, of this kind of the profundity here, is they, sh they demonstrate how each of the four different encounters in our gospel correspond to the four different traditional temperaments or personality types. Now, in the past 100, 200, 300 years or so in Western civilization, the four traditional temperaments are something that is complete, that have been unknown. We don't know what, what this is, okay? But for hundreds and really even thousands of years, there's people in Western civilization have spoken about and thought about four different temperaments, okay? And we see these four different temperaments actually being reflected in our gospel passage today. These words uh, that, that denote the different temperaments are very old-fashioned words. Some of them you probably have never heard before, okay? And so the first traditional temperament type is called the choleric type, the choleric personality type. And that temperament is a very passionate temperament. And that's a good thing, right? Who wants to be boring and who wants to bore others, right? We, we like people with passion, so that's a good thing. Now, uh, sometimes they, their, their weak side, though, is that they, they are often impetuous, okay, and impatient, and they maybe they leap before they look, okay, and they kind of get ahead of themselves, all right? And that's part of what the, the choleric temperamental uh, disposition is. And so we see James and John, the apostles, James and John, they represent that kind of personality style, okay? So the Samaritans reject Jesus and his band, and they say, Lord, you want us to call down fire on them and toast them? Okay? And he's, he's, he says to them, whoa, 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 hold on. So he's got to put the brakes on those guys. They're, they're very forward-moving kind of personalities. And he's got to slow them down. All right? So Jesus knows the right remedy for the right ailments. Okay? Think about a doctor. If you went to a doctor and the, and the doctor had the policy, you know what? I love aspirin. I give aspirin to everybody no matter what their problem is. If it's headache, if it's cancer, if it's a cold, I give them aspirin. Right? That would be a disaster. That would be a terrible doctor. Okay? So it's different uh, solutions for different problems, different remedies for different ailments. Okay? So now the second interaction that Jesus has in our gospel is with the personality type referred to as sanguine. Okay, sanguine. The sanguine personality, they're very warm-hearted, they're very friendly, they're optimistic. They're optimistic, and that is really good. We need more optimism in this world and less pessimism. The problem with the sanguine personality type is that oftentimes they're, a little, they're kind of flighty and changeable. So although they see the world through rose-colored glasses and they're optimistic and they're very friendly, Sometimes they have a problem with follow-through. They've got an idea in their head, and it sounds really good to them, and they start it, oh, but then something else catches their attention, and they leave it half done, and they move on to something else, and they move on to something else. So they have a problem staying on task. That's the issue with the sanguine. And so the second person that comes to Jesus, he says to him, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Okay, very optimistic, but Jesus knows the heart of this individual and knows that they're unrealistic. They don't have a very good self-knowledge. And so he says to them, well, foxes have dens, birds of the air have nests, 
The Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. As if to say, are you ready for this? Can you handle really following me? Okay, there's no Hotel 8s across Palestine. I'm going to be wandering over fields and forests and sleeping in caves and on the ground. Are you ready for this? Can you do this? Okay, and so for this guy, again, who's a little bit too forward, like the first personality type, Jesus keeps him at arm's length, pushes him back a little bit. Very interesting. And then the third personality type. Now, this is a word that's still current in English. Uh, it's the word melancholy. There's a melancholy personality type. The melancholy personality type, they're very serious. They're very introverted. They're cautious. They're thinkers. Now, all those things are very good. But they can be susceptible to a kind of dark moodiness, almost a kind of a depression. All right? That's the melancholic personality type or temperaments. And this is the guy that comes up to him and says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. You know, the reality of it is this guy's father probably wasn't even dead yet. Okay? But he's just dwelling on the morbid. Okay? And Jesus' remedy for him is to shake him out of his self-absorption with this kind of shocking statement, let the dead bury their dead. You come and follow me. Okay. So now we've got the, the fourth and the final Personality type, this is a funny word, phlegmatic. Okay, so you got the phlegmatic personality type. These people, they're very, very pleasant and inoffensive and harmless. Okay, they are the type of people that you can't hate, that no one could hate, no one could dislike. And yet at the same time, they're very comfortable in their comfort zone. Okay, they're kind of homebodies. They're not very ambitious, okay? They don't really like to step past their comfort zone and take risks, and they're, they're very retiring and reticent, okay? And so for this person who says, Lord, I'll follow you, but first, let me say farewell to my family. Jesus knows the heart of this person and knows that they're playing games and that they're not really serious, and so he's got a hard word for that person, too. He says, anybody putting their hand to the plow and looking back is not fit for the kingdom of heaven. Now, what's very interesting, too, is this final person, this phlegmatic individual who comes and has this encounter with Jesus, says the exact same thing that Elisha, in our first reading, says to Elijah. Let me go back and greet my parents before I come and follow you. They say the exact same thing, but the response is totally different. Jesus rebukes this guy. Elijah seems to accommodate Elisha. That's because both Jesus and Elijah do not judge a book by its cover. Rather, they go deep into the book. They open it up. And they know what's in the heart of these individuals who are approaching them. Okay, Elijah knew that unlike the phlegmatic person that Jesus kind of gives a rebuke to, he knew that Elisha meant business. Elisha meant business. For you farmers out there, think of the outfit, the farming outfit this guy had. He had 12 plows all working side by side, plowing up a huge swath of land. He had 11 hired men working beside him. He was on the 12th plow, okay? That's a lot of organizational savvy and equipment and everything else. So this guy was quite the farmer. All Elijah has to do is throw a mantle throw his cloak on his shoulder, and Elisha knows exactly what he's saying. He responds to his divine vocation, 
immediately with total commitment. He kills all of his oxen, all right? He burns all of the equipment. He, you know, lets go all of his hired hands. Isn't that amazing? There's no looking back. There's no escape hatch, okay? There's no prenuptial agreement with Elisha, all right? He's in all the way. And Elijah knows that. And so that's why Elijah says, yeah, you can go ahead and, you know, greet your parents and because he knows that he's serious about following him. My brothers and sisters, the wonderful thing here is that, first of all, there's so many things that we can apply to our own lives. First of all, isn't it awesome and wonderful that God treats us all as individuals? He knows us better than we know ourselves. You know, parents, uh, if they have more than one children, they're often surprised, oh my gosh, there's so different personality types, and they learn to kind of relate to their children differently. And the more children they have, the more they're surprised about how these different personalities just come about and how they've got to treat each child as an individual. If that's true for human parents, how much more so is that true for God, our Heavenly Father? He treats each of his children uh, individually, and he knows what each one needs. He responds to us as, as individuals. And thereby, he provides us an example uh, of how to relate to others. And as I said in the beginning of my homily, each person as an individual is a mystery. We need to really respect that and stand before the mystery of our neighbor and let that mystery unveil itself before us and not box people in. And, and you know, we need to be unassuming about others as we, as we encounter them. And if we're to do that, if we do that, if we respect the mystery of the human person, you know what? That's the best school wherein we can learn how to respect the mystery of the Holy Spirit and the voice of God in our lives. If we're sensitive to the inner truth of our neighbor, we're going to become sensitive to the unseen mystery of the Holy Spirit speaking in our lives and calling us on the Christian vocation, like we see in Elisha, who, with all his heart, was able to respond to God's vocation, to hear it and to respond with great zeal and great generosity. So my brothers and sisters, let's respect one another. Let's listen to each other. And let's listen especially to the voice of God in our lives and respond with great generosity.